wonderful being with you uh, this morning. Uh, I thought we'd uh, kick off by uh, me giving you, um, slightly self-indulgently, uh, a little bit of an insight into my world. Uh, I've got to say, right up front, uh, I find what I'm doing right now, standing in front of you, about to preach, I find it incredibly difficult. Uh, Truth be told, uh, I'd much rather be arriving at the back now and kind of hiding in the back row listening to someone else speak. Maybe some of you are thinking you would rather I was sitting in the back row right now so you could listen to someone else speak. I also feel that the pressure of trying to communicate in just half an hour or so what I've been grappling with in the Scriptures for, for hours and hours and hours over the last week, and communicating it with you so you not only hear it, but you get it and go away wanting to do something as a result of it. I feel that pressure. And then there's the not insignificant matter of my personal accountability to God. Don't know if you ever noticed, but that the Bible gives these massive warnings to anyone who wants to preach and teach. James 3 clearly says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Jesus helpfully fleshes this out a bit in Mark chapter 9. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, in other words, if you preach something, if you teach something in such a way that you lead small children astray, it'd be better for such people if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Revelation 22 says, if anyone adds anything to them, uh, to the scrolls containing the the words of Scripture, if if you make them say something they don't actually say, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. Those are some of the warnings in the Bible when it comes to what I'm doing with you right now. Now, got to be honest with you, I feel the weight of that. So much so that, like it or not, my family gets to feel the weight of it too. On a typical Saturday, if I'm preaching the next day, gradually through the day, my focus begins to shift until about five or six in the evening, I'm just not there anymore. I'm vacant to everyone else in the house. You you rarely see us out as a family on a Saturday evening if I'm preaching the next day. If we've got people round, I'm really not the best host. Sorry if you've ever been round on a Saturday evening. That explains my slightly awkward attempts to talk with you and my mind has been somewhere else. Uh, It's like I'm consumed with the message that God has given me to communicate. And come Sunday morning, well, I I just need to get alone. I need to be by myself. It's not that I'm still desperately trying to prepare the message. No, that's been done long before. I just need to be alone with God to plead with Him for my sake and for your sake for what is about to happen. It's like there's this tremendous weight of responsibility. I feel it intensely. I'm desperate for you to hear from God, but 
I feel pretty powerless a lot of the time. I I can't make you listen. Uh, I can do my best, but I can't make you. I can't make you live in the good of what you hear. I can't force you to go away and apply it. It's a pretty exhausting place to be. That's why I often get home on a Sunday afternoon and just collapse in a heap. I tell you, my family get a really rough deal. Now, I've just unpacked for you some of the warnings and some of the weight that God puts on me as a preacher, as a teacher. Luke chapter 8, passage that we're going to be camped out in for the next half an hour or so, it is actually all about the warning and weight that God puts on you as the hearer. You see, you have some responsibility in this whole thing too. And and I'm praying and I'm hoping that even as I try and communicate the truth of God's Word, that God would be speaking to you this morning in such a way that you would take your responsibility at least as seriously as I take mine. Let's look at what Jesus says. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4 of Luke chapter 8. One day, Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among the rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he had said this, he called out, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. I love that. Jesus finishes this sermon and the people closest to him had no idea whatsoever what he was talking about. That makes me feel slightly better about what I'm doing right now. Verse 10, Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, but I use parables to teach the others so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see. When they hear, they won't understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's Word. It's like every time the Word of God goes out, it has a softening effect on some people and a hardening effect on others. Some people hear and receive mercy from God. Other people hear and it's almost as though they are receiving judgment because they don't hear and they don't respond. And so a preacher, in this case, Jesus himself begins to preach and teach the Word of God. And, and, and Jesus unpacks four scenario, scenarios for how it's heard, four potential responses to his Word. And I'm guessing that probably even in this room today, these four different scenarios, these four responses will be played out in some way. Let's look at the first one. The seed 
never gets the chance to germinate. Verse 12, the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. It's like God's Word goes out and and people go, whatever, not for me. Or, or, Or the seed lands for a moment but is then quickly snatched away. Now, helpfully, Jesus here lifts the lid on what's really going on beneath the surface. That there is a very real spiritual battle going on. God speaks, and the devil is intent on preventing us from hearing. As we're going to see, sometimes he's very, very subtle. But to start off with, his tactics are pretty overt, pretty blatant. He literally prevents people, stops people from believing. Sometimes he'll just confuse us so we struggle to understand. He just blinds us to the truth. Often he will pander to our pride and convince us that, well, we know better. Or or he'll surround us with people who are cynical or hypercritical. He'll undermine all our confidence in what we've just heard. Now, Jesus goes on to explain that this is why so many people hear the gospel and fail to believe and be saved. But just to throw this out there, I think even after you become a believer, the devil will still do all he can to snatch God's word away from you and prevent you from responding in faith. Every time you open the Bible, every time you come here on a Sunday, every life group meeting, that the devil is wanting to stop you hearing the truth of God's word. Please, wise up to his schemes and don't let him get away with it. Right at the outset, I, I, I want you to resolve, even when it's hard work, I'm going to persevere. I am going to press through. I'm going to fight the distractions so that I hear God. And when I hear him, I'm not, I'm not going to let the devil snatch it away from me. Let's keep going. There's a second scenario, and I find this one just gut-wrenching. Second batch of seed struggles to take root. Verse 13, that the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Now, I know what I'm about to say isn't going to be particularly popular, but it is painfully true. I think Jesus is talking here about people who can perhaps point back to an event in time and say, I I, I heard the message then. I, I responded at the end of that meeting. I said the prayer on that day. And from that moment on, 
there has been little or no objective evidence of any change in my life at all. They haven't grown in their love for Jesus, haven't grown in their worship of him. It's like over the years they've been conformed to a moral pattern, a way of behaving, but haven't inwardly been transformed at all by the Spirit of God. They have no roots. They're unwilling to change. There's no desire to create any kind of depth in their walk with God. They literally just have a moment to point back to, and outside of that, little or nothing else. And so what eventually happens is when winds of temptation or persecution or trials of other kinds start blowing, their faith gets uprooted and they fall right away. It's tragic. Now again, I think this is a very real warning for us. Some of us, we we hear the word week in, week out, no intention of applying it. It's just insane. We, we hear it. We perhaps agree with it. We maybe even receive it with joy and do absolutely nothing about it. Worse still, we perhaps always apply it to someone else. I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. I, I hope my wife's tuning in to this bit. Oh, oi, oi, did you write that down? I, th- I think you need to remember that. It's never for me. It's always for someone else. It's like cultural Christianity. A-, a long time ago, you made a decision, so you start coming to church week in, week out, despite the fact you have no relationship with God, and there's been no objective growth in your relationship with Christ for as far back as you can remember. It's terrifying. We receive so much of God's Word. But if we never apply it, if we don't start living in the good of it, when things get tough, we have no roots, we have no depths to hold us. It's terrifying. Look at the next one. Third batch of seed gets choked out by worry, riches, and pleasures. Verse 14, that the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. This third picture is of a person who hears the gospel, the good news about Jesus, receives it, but as they begin to walk in faith, sooner or later they are faced with a very real challenge. God says to them, look, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is what I am asking of you. This is the step that I want you to take. And either because it's not instant gratification or or because it seems way too difficult or because you you just blatantly don't want to do it, you say, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this where people just say no to God. As if God is the great enemy 
of joy, as if God is the great enemy of pleasure. But we so easily get duped into thinking this. One minute we are walking with God, the next we're going, no, 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 I I can't be obedient to that. I'm not going to walk there. I'm not going to do what God says in that situation. And so let's try and justify it. Let's go back to the Word and twist or manipulate what it says. See, suddenly I don't have to do it. This is only in that scenario. I I don't have to listen to that. And so we conclude that I'm going to do it my way and no one gets to tell me what to do. And we're off. I can't tell you how often people trade intimacy with Jesus for the craziest things. For example... I've seen so many single women trade it for intimacy with a man who can't lead them. That's a horrible trait. Uh, Let me tell you this, from years of counselling people in struggling marriages, there, there are things that are worse than being alone. Maybe you don't believe me, but there just are. There are. How about this one? Pornography. Pornography is not a good trade for intimacy with Jesus. It's just not a good trade for even intimacy in any way. What about worry? If it's a choice between looking to Jesus and trusting His ability to empower me to press through regardless of how big the problem is, or becoming fixated with a problem so it drains away all of my hope and all of my peace and all of my confidence. It's a choice between those two. I know which I'd prefer. Trading Jesus for a life of worry isn't going to take you anywhere good. And then there are a whole host of other things that aren't bad in and of themselves, but we can make them a priority in our life and they end up distracting us. Family demands, work pressure, pursuing a hobby, social networking. These things just consume us. Jesus is warning us here of the danger of these things crowding out and choking our spiritual growth. So we never become all that Christ created and wired and breathed life into us to become. You know... God's design is for us to grow to maturity. God's design is for us to be very, very fruitful. That's what it's talking about here in this passage, that we might live fully, live deeply, be mature. And when we say no to that, Jesus says spiritually, what's happening is that our faith gets choked out. We're never going to bear fruit. Our spiritual growth will always be stunted. Honestly, I think this is a massive challenge to us. And so... I just want to give you a moment to reflect. Think about it. What is crowding out your relationship with God right now? What's choking your obedience to him? What's preventing you responding to God's word and growing in maturity? Okay, one more scenario. Fourth batch of seed grows and yields a huge harvest. 
just for having a side. Statistically speaking, uh, I stand a one in four chance of ever getting through to you. I tell you, that makes for a long life of preaching. Anyway, verse 15. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Now, in a moment, I'm going to come back and unpack this verse for you, but I just want to keep reading for now. Verse 16, no one, Jesus says, lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. So with virtually no warning, Jesus switches from fruit to light. He seems to do this constantly in the Gospels. Fruit and light are almost synonymous to him. So try and follow the progression here. Jesus is saying that the word that falls on the good soil bears fruit. It produces a huge harvest and becomes a light for others to see. Now look what he says next. It's a terrifying verse. Verse 17, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Anybody else find that verse terrifying? I'll tell you, I find it absolutely terrifying. Let's keep going. Verse 18. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. So for those who hear, those who are fruitful, those who produce a harvest because they listened and obeyed, they will be granted more and more and more and more in this ever-expanding experience of the joy and weight of God that is so incredibly vast that the book of Ephesians says it will take the coming ages, millenniums, for us to taste and understand the fullness of it. But for those who don't listen, even what they think they possess will be taken from them. I'm telling you, this is such a weighty idea. If you flip back to the book of Matthew, Jesus says in chapter 7, verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that it is possible to experience spiritual things, but not be a believer at all. So pay attention to how you hear. Please, pay attention to how you hear. Pay attention to how you hear. If we don't take a moment to ask ourselves, how am I hearing? Then I think we're in a really, really dangerous place. So how are you hearing? Where are you in the parable of the sower? If you've got these four scenarios that Jesus is throwing out there, which one of them are you? Is your heart just unmoved? Do you have this moment that you can point to a number of years back, but if you're being honest, not a whole lot has changed between then and now? Are you someone that repeatedly says, yeah, but? It's like you've got these areas in your life where the word of God doesn't get to tell you what to do. Does it feel like what God says is constantly being choked out by other things? You, You want to do what he says, but it's like other stuff keeps coming in and distracting you. Maybe just confused. 
Maybe you're going, I just don't know. I'm confused out of my mind right now. Now look, I'm guessing that some of you will be hearing all of this. And inwardly, your response is, well, am I really saved then? I mean, if I'm scenario one, two, or three, am I really a Christian? I want to say this gently, but I want to say it nonetheless. That is not the point. I think Jesus leaves this purposefully ambiguous because he doesn't want anyone thinking, well, if I have shallow roots, I'm still saved, so... You know what? I'll just stick with that. That is not the purpose of this parable. The, the whole point, the whole purpose, the whole thrust is for you to hear the parable and think, I want to be that fourth kind of soil. I want to hear and respond with faith. I want to be fruitful. I want to produce a harvest. So what can I do to be a better hearer of God's word? Now, if that's where you're at, I desperately hope it is. If that's where you're at, I want to quickly return to verse 15. And as we wrap this up, I want to highlight three steps we can all take to apply this message. Jesus says, verse 15, And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling on to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. So what happens is the word of God goes out. Whether it's here on a Sunday morning, your own personal Bible study, and a sermon you hear on a podcast, anywhere you get the Word of God. And when you hear it, here's what you need to do if you want to grow in faith, if you want to bear fruit, if you want a huge harvest in your life. Three things. First of all, you need to watch your heart. You don't start playing games. You don't twist what God's Word says. You don't go all defensive and start justifying your behaviour. No, you hear God's word, and with an honest heart, you go, that's not where I'm at. I'm sinning in that area of my life. I haven't given that over to God. I haven't been completely honest in this area. I haven't been walking in what God has commanded me to walk in. And you repent, and you seek out accountability, and help, and counsel, and whatever you can get that enables you to walk in the fullness of what God says. But the word has to hit an honest heart. If it doesn't hit the honest heart, and it hits the heart of the hider, the liar, the manipulator, I think you need to roll it up to one of these other three scenarios. You'll have no faith. Or at the very least, you have a shallow faith. Or your faith will get choked out constantly by other things. God's word has to hit an honest heart, a heart that is open to receive it. And then here's the second thing. You then need to cling on to it. I think the majority of Christians, myself included, have a delayed obedience issue. God challenges us deeply. We think, oh, I need to do that. Barbecue at yours? Sure. And it turns into one of those things that doesn't get addressed for months or years. We just rush on to something else and forget. And then here's what you end up finding. You end up finding people who have been 
struggling with a specific sin for 10 years, 12 years, 13 years, thinking that this is the time they're finally going to be able to get over it, despite the fact that God has been shouting out for years, going, come on, let's get out of this. This is not what I have for you. This is not why I went to the cross for you. There is more, so much more. There's greater intimacy with your spouse. There's greater intimacy in life. There's greater joy to be had. Let's get out of here. And we're going, oh yeah, we will, but we'll do it next time. It's just devastating to the heart. When God speaks, you need to cling on to his word. Don't let go of what he says. Which kind of leads into the third thing here. He also need patience. Because it takes time. That there is no short-term fix, certainly none that I've ever found. If you're going to avoid falling away or getting choked by the pressures of life, you need to be patient. I think so often we're looking for instant transformation. We respond at the end of the meeting and expect our anger and lust to disappear in an instant. And so we get angry when just two days later we're still thinking lustful thoughts all over again. The key to bearing fruit is being honest about where we're at clinging to God's word and being patient these are words that say step by step by step by step day after day after day after day you just can't submit yourself for four weeks and then go well I'm not where I think I should be so I'm out Jesus is saying that for those who hear Those will be honest about where they're at. Those who cling on to God's word and patiently produce fruit, more will be added. More knowledge of God, more intimacy with him, more experience of him, more maturity, more faith, more hope, more life. So here's how I want to end today. A few moments I'm going to pray, but here's what I'd ask. Don't rush away. Please don't rush away. I mean, if none of this is true, then who cares? But if this is true, then you'd be a fool to rush out of here. Maybe you need to just sit for a while and reflect some more on how you're hearing. Maybe you need to write down what God has said to you and what you're going to do as a result. Maybe you've got some questions you need to talk through. Maybe it's a repentance issue. You need to get right with God for ignoring what he says. Don't rush away. Reflect on what God's been speaking to you about today.